Welcome to the Hills Church Podcast. We hope that it helps you become a strong and passionate follower of Jesus Christ. For more information, you can head to our website at www.hillschurch.com.au. Enjoy this week's message. Well, it is so good to be with you all today. We want to welcome all of our friends, our visitors, and our guests. Can we please give a round of applause if you're here for the first time? Uh, if you're visiting, we know it's a major deal to set foot in a church if you've never done so before or you haven't for a long time. We just wanted to say thank you for being here today. And I do hope that wherever you come from and whatever your experience is and whatever your background is, that you do find a place to connect and you are encouraged and you enjoy your time here today at Hill. So thank you so much for being with us. Please stick around afterwards. We've got Donut Coffee Cart. Love, if you're here for the first time, I'd love to shout your coffee and just have a chat and, and just get to know you a little bit more. It'd be absolutely brilliant. Well, we have been in this excuse me, collection of talks called I Am, where we are looking at the person of Jesus Christ. And every single week we've been looking at a different statement. And it's kind of like as you go through, it's like you're picking up the same beautiful treasure, the same beautiful gem that is Jesus and just looking at different facets of it. And every time you do, it just shows something unique and it's something beautiful. And then over the time, as we go through the seven statements, we get to it and then we have this beautiful picture of Jesus that has been formed and who he says he is and what he has really for us today as a church. It is such a privilege and such an honour that I get to be able to show you and and teach you and walk you through uh, this beautiful person, this beautiful Saviour, this beautiful God of ours whose name is Jesus. And I do hope it's been an encouragement to you so far. Last week we uh, kicked off in John chapter 10 and we said that the I am statement we talked about last week being the gate is really intrinsically linked to the one we're talking about today. So if you weren't here last week, we're going to recap a little bit of the context because we're still in the same passage of scripture. Um, and I would encourage you to go back on the podcast or on the YouTube channel or wherever you get your content to be able to see that. But if you weren't here last week, it's okay. It's still going to make sense today. You're still going to be encouraged in the word of God as we look to one of the most famous and loved and cherished I am statement today. The context of what is happening here is John chapter 10, as we said last week, is straight after John chapter 9. And the key event that has given rise to this dialogue between Jesus and the religious leaders of the day is that a man who was born blind has now been healed by Jesus. Now, back in that day, if you were born blind, uh, it was considered that you either sinned grievously or your parents had sinned grievously, and that's why you had been born with this infirmity, which of course is a terrible teaching and atrocious teaching from these uh, first century Jewish leaders uh, of the day. So what's happened is this man is born blind, and because of his illness, his condition is cast out from society. He's ostracized, he's marginalized, he's taken advantage of by the religious leaders. And Jesus has come in really to rebuke them sharply for how these people have treated this person who was really deserving of care and justice and peace and mercy. So Jesus comes in after this man has been born blind and these religious leaders grill this poor man saying about Jesus, who is this man to heal you? What kind of business do you have in the temple? You sick person, you should be out there. And Jesus is now coming to them and really sharply berating them. The words that he uses in this chapter 
if you were a first century religious leader of the time, would have stirred up some significant imagery. Jesus is very specific in the way that he rebukes and tells off these religious leaders. And your mind would have gone straight back to Ezekiel chapter 34, verses one to four. And it says here, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourself with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them brutally and harshly. And in John chapter 10, these thieves and these robbers and these people who were supposed to be good shepherds of the people were more interested in fleecing the sheep for their own gain than actually looking after them and doing their job as God had instructed them. The contrasting image is found later in chapter 34 in the book of Ezekiel, where it says, I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from, from the countries. I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, in the settlements of the land. I will tend them in good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will be lie down in good grazing land. And there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself, says God, will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. So Jesus here, after saying that he is the gate to the sheepfold, and we talked about that last week, and Jesus is the only way to God. Jesus is the only way through to the care and love of God. And when we walk through that gate, we talked about it last week that we get salvation, we get provided for, we get protected, and we get life and life abundant. So he's, this, he's talking about this shepherd. So in contrast to the bad shepherds of the day, Jesus here says in John chapter 10, verse 11 to 21, I am the good shepherd. Here, this word for good means beautiful, excellent, eminent, choice, surpassing, commendable, admirable, excellent in its nature and characteristics, precious by reason of purity and heart and life and honourable. And these are the inherent moral characteristics of our shepherd who is a good one. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Now, what happened in that day where if you were the owner, you were a shepherd of a sheep, and we briefly discussed it last week, where you would have all your sheep in this big sheepfold, this big pen that was like a walled structure, a walled enclosure. And because they were quite valuable and they were the major source of enterprise and industry and trade, it was really important that those sheep were protected. And so because you couldn't stay awake 24-7 to um, be at the door and guard the sheep, you would have someone work for you who was a hired security guard for those sheep. The only problem is, is with any hired help, when they don't own the thing and doesn't belong to them, as soon as it gets a little bit hard, they'll get out of here. And to be honest, if I was a guardian of a sheep folder that day and I saw wolves coming at me, I'd think, yeah, I don't get paid enough for this either. I'm out of here. Fair enough, right? We've all been in that experience in, in work or in whatever. I don't get paid enough for this. I'm, I'm out, right? And so this is where the thing is. And at the moment, we've all had experiences in our life 
where we've felt that sense of being left or that sense of trust and agreement has not been met. That when the heat has been turned on, when the whips are cracking, that that person or that thing or that thing that I was trusting in to be faithful and that thing I was trusting in to be there in that time of, that, of need, in that time that I was really after, in that time that I needed protection, where that thing and that wall of protection and faithfulness was just taken away from me. We've all been left in the lurch or betrayed or whatever it might be. It might be in our relationships. Maybe you trusted someone and maybe you got hurt in that process. Maybe it's been in your workplace. And I was talking to someone a few weeks ago who's not in our church and they were saying they just trusted this person with a deep secret of theirs and that person then went behind their back and used that information against them for their own personal career and it hurt them and now they're, tr- they're struggling to really find any sense of trust or reliability or dependability in their workplace. And so many of us have had instances and examples and experiences in our workplace where we felt betrayed or or just that trust has been damaged or gone. Maybe even in church life and you trusted someone and a relationship was going good and then I don't know what happened, but maybe it all fell to pieces. We've all had experiences in our life where we felt left in the lurch or we felt that sense of abandonment, that sense of that rock that should have been there wasn't there. And I just want to have a, a quick note. I'll get back to the sermon in a second. I was told uh, as I came in today that there was a cricket stuck in that pipe right there. And uh, they said, Pastor, don't take it personally. It's nothing to do with your sermon. There actually is a cricket stuck there. So if you hear that, it's uh, that's what that is. And so I've never actually heard literal crickets while I'm preaching. But anyway, there it is today. First time for everything. Back to this Evan focus. So that sense that I thought this wall of protection was there and it just got ripped from me. That when the wolves came and the heat was on, I was just left there. And what happens is that when this happens to us, it starts to form this kind of distrust. And we like to think that we trust. And if we were asked, like, yeah, yeah, I do, I do trust. But then we've got to think about it, like, do, do we really? So many of us have this inherent struggle with trust. And we have it mostly because of experiences that we've had with other humans. And like they think, yeah, like I kind of trust other people and I kind, I kind of do, but really when, it, when push comes to shove, I trust me and I'm very happy with that arrangement. Thank you very much, Mr. Preacher. And what happens is that we have to be careful that we don't allow our experience with people seep into the way we interact and understand our God. And we have to be careful to not project human characteristics onto his nature. And people are people and we are who we are. And that's the reason why we are what we are in relation to these things. None of us can be perfectly faithful. None of us can be perfectly solid. None of us can walk through life without letting other people down. We have to be careful that we don't take those experiences and allow it to colour our lens of how we view our good shepherd. And of course, faithfulness is a cardinal virtue of our faith and a fruit of the Holy Spirit and something that every believer should strive to emulate as we reflect the nature of God and seek to imitate Him. But what happens is that we look to the left and the right, searching for characteristics in other people and other things that are only there perfectly in the nature of our God. 
And it's in those times we have to remind ourselves every day that we don't look to the left and the right for our security, but we have to look to Jesus because only He can be the one and only He can be the thing that I need every single day. Only He can be the one that will never let me down. Only He can be the one that will always be there. When the wolves come, when the whips start cracking, when the heat gets turned on, our shepherd is not one to run from the fight. He doesn't back down, but He is there every single day, only Christ can claim to have this characteristic in his life and to have it perfectly. There exists no link between our unreliability and God's faithfulness. And so the first thing we can grab out of this thing of the Good Shepherd is that we see, yes, as we spoke about last week, he's a protector and he's a provider and he leads us into abundant life. But in all of that, the bedrock of his character and the foundational element of who he is, is he is faithful. Our God is so faithful. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not human that he should lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? 2 Timothy 2, 13 says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. And so I want to encourage you today, if you're, here, maybe you're here for the first time and you've been hurt in a relationship, you've been hurt at work, you've been hurt maybe even in church, that I would encourage you that our God is faithful. And yes, the people of God are not perfect and yes, people out there are not perfect, but let me tell you, our God is nothing like us. He will never let you down. He will never lie to you. He will never steal from you. He will never betray your trust. He will never let one promise of His go unfulfilled. Why? Because it's who He is. And He cannot be what He is not. Our God is supremely faithful. When we make our way through the Bible, we see the Scriptures speak consistently and superlatively of the faithfulness of God. Faithfulness is an aspect of the absolute perfection of God's nature. It is impossible to walk through the pages of the Bible without coming across it. Psalm 119 verse 9, it says, Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You established the earth and it endures. Psalm 36 verse 5, Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the skies. So we have the psalmist here looking up at the heavens, at the very expanses of the sky and saying, Lord, even that infinite expanse is insufficient to contain your faithfulness. We can be absolutely certain that our God is 100% reliable. So what I want to do now is set this truth within some of the darkest pages in the Bible. And what we do when we, what we see when we do that is absolutely staggering. And we're going to jump over right now to the book of Lamentations. And it's aptly named. It is very sad, very bleak, very dark. The prophet Jeremiah is lamenting the state of the people of God where they had suffered under the destruction at the hands of another nation and another king. And this is how the book opens, reading Lamentations 1, uh, verse 1 to 2, said, How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she, who once was great among the nations, she who was the queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night, tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there is no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her. They've become her enemy. Talk about a guy who has reason to have trust issues. Jeremiah, I mean, this is bleak. This is dark. There is no worship in the city. There is no temple 
for the presence of God to reside. There is no praise. There's nothing. It is, as we discussed last week in Psalm 23, the valley of the shadow of death. And here, what I love about it is that Jeremiah not watering down the experience. He's not saying that every day is a Friday, I'm living my best life now. He says the experience is what it is. The reality is what it is. But in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21, there's this beacon of hope right in the middle, wedged in there, in this dark and bleak and tragic piece of literature. He says, yet I call this to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. And church, say it with me. Great is your faithfulness. Faithfulness of God is not just there when we have the wind on our back and when we have momentum and we're moving forward and it's brilliant in life. The faithfulness of God is there at all times. So the key here is that even though things might be as they are, Jeremiah makes the conscious decision to change his focus. He says, yes, I'm not dumbing down the situation. I'm not pouring water over. I'm not trying to twist it into something that it's not, but I know my God is above it. I know my God is faithful and it might be bleak. It might be challenging. The walls might be coming in and I don't have a song of praise on my lips, but I know I have hope because my God who is faithful cannot be anything that He is not. He cannot not fulfill a promise. He cannot not come through. I like the double negative. Thank you for allowing me to do that. He cannot not come through. He knows exactly what we need and the fullness of His provision and power is able to meet it every single time. When we face these deep difficulties, they feel like our progress is impeded when it's dark and I feel like I could never give voice to another prayer or song of praise. We're feeling alone and tired and everything and everyone else is unfaithful, unreliable and unpredictable that we call to mind that the shepherd has gone nowhere. Our God is faithful even to a thousand generations. Therefore, we have hope that my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. There's a famous Christian adage which says the faithfulness of Jesus is a soft pillow. And many of us have spent many nights punching the pillow, person turning in bed, laying on the pillow, looking up at the ceiling, many hours of sleep lost, much angst, much turmoil, much stress. Everything changes when we understand that our God is faithful. That we know that when we wake up in the morning, His mercies will be new. That His presence is there just as it was to raise Jesus from the dead and just as it was for the nation of Israel. That our God never leaves us nor forsakes us. Our shepherd is still at the door. Our shepherd is constant and secure and sure. And there is peace and hope and rest because we know we can rest because our shepherd doesn't. How many times have we walked through the valley of a shadow of death, walked through a time where it's been difficult, walked through a time where circumstances have not looked like we thought they were going to look, only to look back and see the fingerprints and faithfulness of God all over that thing. So friends, I want to encourage you today, if you are in this place and you're struggling with your sleep and so many people in our society at the moment take something to get to sleep, a shot of whiskey, a pill, a couple of glasses of wine, all three mixed together. 
We can look to so many places for our rest, so many places, that sense of security and faithfulness. But I want to remind you today to call to mind the faithfulness of God. He's never left you before. He's still standing at your door, still standing at the gate. And there is no promise that he has made over your life today that he will not bring fully to completion. Amen? John chapter 10, moving through, verse 14 to 18. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I don't want to get this into the core of your soul today. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and they will be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. Of course, he's talking about his crucifixion and his resurrection. This is the command I received from my father. He said, I have sheep, other ones that are not of this fold. Now, the context of this scripture here is that Jesus is speaking to 100% ethnic Jews. So if you are not a first century ethnic Jew in this building today, when Jesus is talking about this, he's talking about you. That you are on his mind as he says this to these religious leaders. That Jesus knowing you and knowing you since before the creation of time, when he went to the cross so that you could be brought into the fold, had you at the forefront of his attention. He's saying that the kingdom of God will be compromised of people of every tribe, nation and tongue, that this flock would be this beautiful melting pot of people and cultures who would come to know Jesus as their good shepherd. And when he says this, I love it. He says, I must get them. There's this deep sense of personal angst in Jesus as he's talking about you and talking about the people that don't know him yet. I, I, I can't let them be lost. I can't let them be out there without a shepherd. I can't let them be out there without that protection and provision and without that life that I can give them. I can't do it. I must go and get them. There is an urgency. There is a deep sense of love and action that comes from Jesus here. And this is the heart of Christ towards us. And if you've ever felt like a number, ever felt like no one cares ever felt like you could walk in and out of a place no one would notice? I want to tell you today that Jesus had you on his mind when he said this, that your shepherd knows you by name. Your shepherd has sought you out with an exacting thoroughness. And if you are here today and you don't know Jesus, you might be here first time in church, first time, whatever. I want to encourage you today. You might be looking for something. The flip side of it is I believe that Jesus is looking for you, that he loves you. He wants to bring you into this relationship with him. He wants to bring you into this life where your soul can be saved, where the things that you've been carrying in your world can just fall away, the past hurts and regrets and mistakes, that he wants you to have a fresh start, a start new. He wants to forgive you of everything you've done wrong and bring you into this care and protection and provision and nourishment that he has for you. The life that he has is incredible. And he's had you on his mind for it since the beginning of time. To this day, Jesus is still looking, still searching, still on the move. And he must bring his people to himself. 
This is a very similar context to what's happening in Luke chapter 15. It's a very well-known part of the Bible <coughs> where we find the parable of the lost sheep. Now, the setting that Jesus is in at the moment, uh, very similar to this one. He's sitting with sinners and tax collectors, all the ones where the religious people didn't want to sit with. But Jesus is sitting there with them. Why? Because he loves them. And he's sitting with them and he says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Verse three, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? When he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not repent. So we see here in the passage that the shepherd would go out if there was one that was lost because of his deep care and love for them. Would go and find it, pick it up, put it on his shoulders, take the full weight of it, and carry it home. And this is the incredible picture that we have. And you might think that why would you just leave the 99 to go after the one? That doesn't really make commercial sense. What if something happens to you on the journey? It's, real, it's, it's like the law of diminishing returns, right? In a commercial sense. But Jesus is not interested in that. He's not interested in himself. He's interested in the one that's lost, hurting, maybe broken, doesn't know where it's going. And if left to its own accord, it will probably die in the field. Jesus is concerned for the one. He's concerned for you, for me, for our neighbour, for our colleagues, for our friends, for our family. I remember becoming a Christian and, and as a teenager, walked into a place like this and heard the message of Jesus for the first time and came in and, and life was okay, but I just knew in that moment that I needed something else. I needed a saviour. I needed someone to come and help me. And Jesus came and picked me up with all of my weights, with all of my baggage, with all of my brokenness and mistakes. And he put me on his shoulders and brought me back to the sheep pen. And if you're in this place today, you know Jesus, you would know what that experience is like. To have the shepherd pick you up and put him, put you on his shoulders. And we've got so many testimonies of what God is doing in our church right now. It's so amazing. I'm seeing people come to faith and seeing people who were once away from God now coming back. And it's incredible to see what the Holy Spirit is doing in lightening up and making that fire really burn for Jesus. It's incredible to see what God is doing at the moment. And that thing that we're seeing and that thing that is happening in your life, and that thing that has happened to me, God is wanting to do that time and time and time again. We shouldn't be satisfied with the amount of people that know Jesus in our community because there are still people out there who are lost still people out there who are hurting, still people out there who are broken. Who st- there are still people out there who need the shepherd to come alongside them and pick them up and put them on his shoulders. Our God is not content at the moment with the amount of brokenness and the amount of dysfunction, the amount of people who are stuck in their sin and their darkness. He wants to bring people into that light, into that love and into that relationship with him. And guess what? He invites us into that challenge. He invites us into that mission and that same spirit that he carried, he gives to us so we can be empowered to go and do it. Thank you, Mary. That we have this participative mission with God to seek and to save who are lost. That our shepherd is still looking, the lamp is lit, 
The journey is ahead of him marked. And he says, come and follow me and bring them. And there are people in our world and we know who they are. I'm not going to make you put up your hands. Have you know someone? Let's go and get them. You know who they are. We can't push people through the gates, but you can invite someone to it. You say, this is my shepherd. This is what he looks like. This is what he can bring. And this is the mission that we have. That God is not satisfied with our world as it exists. That there's healing to be had. There is mercy to be had. There is salvation to be had. There is justice to be had. There is peace to be had. There's a shepherd who is on the move. There's more to find. There's another one. When there's one more, then there's another one. There's one more, there's another one. He doesn't say sit. The shepherd doesn't say sit still and just be protected and be fed. Those things are all a part of our journey. They're beautiful. But our shepherd says, come on, let's go. Come on, there's a mission. Come on, there's people out there who need to know Jesus. So I would encourage you today as we go to know that number one, that God is faithful. Come whatever. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He doesn't balk at the wolves and he doesn't run when the heat gets turned up. And secondly, that our shepherd is on the move. He must go and get those people who do not know him yet. Those people who he has known before the beginning of time by name, their struggles, their challenges, that he wants to see people come to know him. As a church, do we want to see people come to know Jesus? We want to see salvation in the house. Amen. We we don't want to just come together and we've said this multiple times and just be fed and just worship God. And those things are great. They are part of being in a part of a community of faith. But we want to see lives transformed because we know that's what the gospel has the power to do. Amen. It has the power to change. It has the power to heal. It has the power to save. And there is not a single person in our world that the power and love of God has not got the capacity to reach. Church, would you be upstanding with me? We're going to pray. And then we're going to close our service today. So Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you that you're a good shepherd. We thank you that because of you, we have protection. We have pasture. We're provided for. We have abundant life. Lord, we thank you that you're faithful. Above all else, even when we are not, Lord God, you are unshaking. And God, we thank you that you're on the move. And we look forward in advance to seeing the people and the scores of people, Frenchy Galilee and beyond, they'll be impacted by what you're doing through this church. Father, I pray that you will continue to empower us. I pray that you continue to strengthen us in participating with you in this work. And God, we just give you all the praise in this place today, in your mighty name. All of God's people said, Amen. Amen.